This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. So the Mets take the first two legs of this four-game weekend series against the Nats. Really good pitching performance by Max Scherzer. Goes seven, allows just one run. Obviously, this the day after the Mets trade away their closer, David Robertson. Great game going on in Baltimore right now, an old-fashioned pitcher's duel. Garrett Cole has been great, but he has been matched so far by Grayson Rodriguez, the young 23-year-old right-hander for the Orioles. They are scoreless in the top of the sixth inning. Yanks have a runner on and two men out in the top of the sixth inning. Yankees have two hits. The Orioles have two hits so far. Aaron Judge is back, and he has lined out to right field on the first pitch that he saw in the first inning, hit it right on the screws, but it just hung up there and was caught by the right fielder for Baltimore. And then Judge has walked his next two at-bats. So, hey, business as usual for Aaron Judge. Uh, He's back in the number two hole as the designated hitter tonight. The biggest problem at the Yankees lineup is they got guys that don't get on base. And Aaron Judge back, and, and we'll see if this is a continuing trend because as bad as the Yankees have been, it is a very fair question to ask, why would any team ever pitch to Aaron Judge? For example, today, Anthony Rizzo is batting after Judge in the number three hole. Uh, does Rizzo scare you to the point where you're going to have to pitch to Judge because you don't want to have Rizzo come up with a runner on base? I don't think so. So um, that's going to be something worth watching. You started to see it last year in September when play when pitchers were pitching around Judge the motivation there was they didn't want to be a footnote to history by giving up that 60-second record-breaking home run. And there we go, case in point. Judge comes out, comes up excuse me, with two outs, nobody on base, and they walk him. And then Anthony Rizzo, 10-pitch at bat, but 11-pitch at bat, but grounds out to end the inning. So they go to the bottom of the sixth, and uh, the Yanks and O's are scoreless. All right, so back to this Dalvin Cook situation. Um It seems like he wants to come to New York. Now, Cook was a guest on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network and was asked what are the odds that he will sign with the Jets? I think they're pretty high, man. I I think we're in a position of, of, you know, a team that's building something special, and I want to be a part of something Mm -hmm. special, you know, as a player. And I want to add to just whatever they got going on. So I think the the possibility is high right now, you know, of, of getting things done. Dalvin Cook is said to be visiting the Jets facility this weekend. Here's Robert Sala on that impending visit. Like I said, we'll never say no to a great player if it's uh, if the opportunity presents itself in the right way. So excited about him and his visit. It's really just being able to get have a conversation, get hands on him. I, I know he's got some things that medically that would have to check out and all that stuff, but he's dynamic. He's a dynamic ball carrier. He's been a, a dynamic ball carrier for a long time. He's great in the past game. And uh, so it's just a matter, like I said, of all the details of that. I'll, I'm not going to get too detailed, but he's you can't say no to a good football player. They usually find a way. And the Jets should find an easier way, whether it's Cook, and I think it should be, or somebody else, the Jets now should be able to find an easier way to bring in that quote-unquote great football player because of the restructuring of Aaron Rodgers' contract. So does that give the Jets, in Salah's mind, a better chance at Cook? You know, I've talked to you guys about how selfless and how thoughtful he is uh, with his statement and what he, uh, he's done with the organization in terms of giving us this opportunity to be able to go at least try to pursue a guy like uh, Delvin. But yeah, it's, it's been going on since free agency where guys kind of, it just feels like guys want to be here. There's a lot of excitement in the locker room, and uh, so hopefully that momentum continues. 
Pat O'Keefe with you here on 98.7 ESPN New York. 1-800-919-3776. Thanks for being along on this Friday night as we uh, follow the Yanks and the Orioles late into the night and discuss this Dalvin Cook situation. You know, this could really put the Jets uh, on, on even a different level in the AFC because as good as they were last year and as improved as they're going to be with Aaron Rodgers now at quarterback instead of Zach Wilson, there is still a lot of landmines in the AFC. Now, interestingly, Joe Burrow, and if you haven't seen the video of him going down in practice and had to be carted off yesterday with what is being termed a right calf strain, and now the reports are that Burrow is going to be out for several weeks. I mean, several weeks without your starting quarterback, that to me puts week one in jeopardy. And, you know, flip a coin, what's the toughest division in football? Last year it was the NFC North. I mean, all four teams were nearly over 500. Uh, excuse me, the NFC North, the NFC East. <laughs> all four teams were nearly above 500, including the Eagles, who were the best team in the NFC. The AFC East is extremely tough, but you know what Buffalo is? Uh, Miami with Tungavailoa was on their way to being a high playoff seed last year until they tailed off. I think we know what the expectations are for the Jets, and you can never count out New England. And uh, now that Bill Belichick seems to have an actual offensive coordinator there. And then the AFC North is also extremely difficult with Cincinnati, and they've kind of taken the mantle of the top team in that division, largely because of Joe Burrow. But Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin does not know how to have a losing season. Baltimore fell apart last year when Lamar Jackson was injured and didn't come back. The reason he didn't come back either because of the injury or because he was unhappy with the contract situation or probably a combination of both. But he's back now with his contract. And then I wouldn't rule out Cleveland with a first full season there with Deshaun Watson. So my point is for the Cincinnati Bengals, like I just said for the Jets, the Jets can't afford to get out of the gate slowly. No team can including the Cincinnati Bengals. And what does Joe Burrow's injury do to the start of their season? I mean, the Jets, if you're going to come out with that Monday night game against the Bills, and then you go to Dallas, and then you host the Patriots, and then you host the Chiefs, I mean, is Brees Hall going to be 100% for all four of those games? You know, Dalvin Cook just gives you so much more security and to be honest, he's a better player right now. Outside of the security, he's a better player than Brees Hall. And Cook comes in, you sign him, you make him the number one running back. It doesn't end anything for Brees Hall. If Hall, re this first of all, this allows him to recover without putting on him the pressure of having to lead the offensive rushing charge. And number two, Cook is a one-year proposition. He's 28 years old. He'll be 28 years old this season. So if you're concerned about him breaking down, and he might. He might break down at 29. He might break down at 30. But who cares? He was great at 27. He was great at 26, 25, 24. He has not shown any signs that he's going to tail off this year. This is a one-year proposition, so it just makes so much sense. Let's hear more from Dalvin Cook. Uh, again, this was this morning on Good Morning Football on NFL Network. Cook sizing up the running back market. 
the position itself is kind of like one of those backwards with the position. You know, you get a lot of production and you want to hand the running back the ball mm -hmm. 300 times a year, 400 times as you're a special guy. And, you know, after the season, you kind of, they kind of put you in the category of being wore down. Yeah. And they don't want to give you the money. And then that's the situation like what Saquon was in. Then you go back to a situation where J.K. Dobbins, he's productive, but he don't got the wear and tear. And they still don't want to pay him. <laughs> so it's kind of like being in that little equal of, you know, what do we do? Yeah. And I think that's the solution of, you know, us coming together as running backs and just standing firm of, you know, trying to get this thing done and turn it around for the market, for the upcoming future. Like yeah. you said, I got my little brother. He's only 23 years old. Yeah, what about it? And, you know, I want to see him get as much as he deserves because he worked hard. These running backs and all professional athletes are said to be independent contractors. But in the NFL landscape, these running backs, more than any other position right now, have to operate as independent contractors. They really go out once they get finished with their rookie deal, which Dalvin Cook is now finished with, which Saquon Barkley is now finished with. Once they get finished with that rookie deal, they really have to operate on a year-by-year -year basis, and they have to size up their opportunities that are available to them make the best decision based on how much money they can make and being in a winning situation. And that's where Aaron Rodgers, and this is Aaron Rodgers's presence. This isn't Aaron Rodgers having restructured his contract. This is where Aaron Rodgers's presence comes in handy because again, who isn't going to want to sign up to try to be a part of this situation right here? I know they haven't won yet, but he hasn't played a game yet. This, for all intents and purposes, is a winning situation because Aaron Rodgers has been in winning situations his entire career. All right, the very end of last year, it got stale. But he had been there for a long time. It had run its course. It happens. If you've watched or seen or observed Rodgers since he came to New York, this is a new guy. This is a new approach. This is a new lease on life at the very end of a brilliant, brilliant career. And for the Jets, if you have an opportunity to bring in a guy who's not too old and Dalvin Cook is not and is still highly productive and Dalvin Cook is, then this is the time to pull the trigger on that. Now, the other story surrounding the Jets was this nonsense with Sean Payton and the interview that he gave first criticizing Nathaniel Hackett. Like, look, here's, here's what we know. Nathaniel Hackett... He might have been. It was one of the worst head coaching jobs we've ever seen last year in Denver from week one. Week one, Monday Night Football, Russell Wilson's first game, and they couldn't even figure out whether to go for it on fourth down or kick a field goal on fourth down. And when push came to shove, the clock management in that first game was abhorrent. And it never really got better after that. And Wilson stunk. And I'm not convinced that Russell Wilson, I don't think he's going to stink again, but I am certainly not convinced that he's not on the back nine of his career. I mean, he's a running quarterback. He's taken a lot of hits. He's also a little quarterback. That type of player does not age well in the NFL. You know, he's not six foot five Tom Brady, he's not Aaron Rodgers, six two elusive yeah Wilson's elusive but he's more kind of like a battering ram and he's a little guy that kind of player does not age well that's why he was a third round pick to begin with with as great as he was in college at NC State in Wisconsin 
He fell to the third round because he's small. He's still small. So is that going to age speed up the aging process? It might. But whatever. Sean Payton criticizing the job that Nathaniel Hackett did last year. 20 dirty hands involved in what went wrong in Denver, and a lot went wrong in Denver last year. That's Look, that's stupid, I think. It's kind of... Um, you know, you've heard a lot of people that have spent their careers in the NFL saying that goes against the code, and I would tend to agree as somebody who hasn't spent his entire career inside the NFL just observing it and covering it. I still think that something is off about all of that. That's one thing. He's commenting on his own team. But then to pivot, and I don't know the circumstances in the middle of the interview, but the article then pivots to Peyton going from talking about Nathaniel Hackett, who, yes, is on the Jets coaching staff right now, but then to pivot and talk about the Jets in the context of all of this pomp and circumstance that it's going to come back on them and they're seeking out this attention. All you heard about with the Jets was that they did not want to be on hard knocks. And I believe them. They didn't have a choice in the matter. Now, if you think that the Jets brought in Aaron Rodgers because they're trying to seek out attention, you're out of your freaking mind. They brought in Aaron Rodgers because they had maybe the worst quarterback play in the NFL last year, and Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the league. With that comes attention, but that's not why they brought him in. And what is Sean Payton doing talking about the Jets? What kind of a threat to the Broncos are the Jets? You know, Peyton's a guy who's won one Super Bowl. He's usually the coach of winning teams, had a really successful tenure in New Orleans, um, took last year off, was on TV, had to check half the time if he had a pulse when he was on TV. He wasn't overly compelling on the desk there at Fox. Um, and interestingly about that, he one of his excuses for after – that he got some brushback because of the comments he made was that he he had his fox hat on for a moment. His fox hat, if he was half as interesting as that when he was being paid to be an analyst by Fox last year, he might have actually had a career. I had my fox hat on. <laughs> like, seriously. He was so bland and vanilla, half the time you didn't even know he was there. And he blames it on his fox hat. So, of course, Robert Sala is asked his response to Sean Payton's comments about his team. Here's what he said. Well, I'm not going to acknowledge Sean on that. Is you know He's been in the league a while. He can say whatever the hell he wants. But as far as you know, what we have going on here, I kind of live by saying if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. Obviously, we're doing something right if you got to talk about us when we don't play you till week four. You know, the guys in our locker room, they, they've earned everything that's coming to them and really excited about what's going on. I think Hackett's doing a phenomenal job here. Him, the uh, coaching staff is doing a phenomenal job, and, and we're focused on us. I get it. There's a lot of external noise. There's a lot of people who are hating on us. There's a lot of people looking for us to fail. There's a lot of crows pecking at our neck. All you can do is spread your wings, keep flying high until those crows fall off and suffocate from inability to breathe. You know, <laughs> Salah is a likable guy. I hope he succeeds. I mean, all the pieces are in place. He hasn't proven that he's the guy yet. He hasn't proven that he's not the guy yet. Um, you know, he's still, he'll still be his third year as an NFL head coach. Uh, the defense took tremendous strides last year. He has more talent, obviously, than any of his previous teams. He is a good guy. And that's the, the genuine thought, the general thought about Salah 
is is he too good of a guy? Is he too nice of a guy to be in that position? But he does a very good job, you know, whether it's in this case Sean Payton or last year having to deal with some comments made by Rex Ryan. He does a very good job of taking the high road, but still, you know, not rolling over. You can still tell that Salah's ticked there. And it's funny, too, because, you know, Salah pissed off at Sean Payton. Look at the two of them. I know Sean Payton's several years older than Salah, but Salah would kick the crap out of Sean Payton. Uh, They do face each other week five. Salah taking the high road there. Actually, we do have Sean Payton's. So this is Sean Payton's reaction to the reaction. Uh, The comments came out in an article uh, published by USA Today. uh, Backlash throughout the league against Sean Payton and says he regrets the comments that he made. I had one of those moments where I still had my Fox hat on and not my coaching hat on. You know, I said this to the team in the meeting yesterday. We've had a great offseason relative to that, you know, and I've been preaching that message. And here I am, the veteran, you know, stepping in it. It was it was a learning experience for me. It was a mistake. Obviously, I needed a little bit more filter. There's a pound of flesh for these guys. And, and as a coach, you stick up for them. And after a while, you know, we're past that season last year. And, you know, I said what I said. And, and obviously, I needed it a little bit more restraint and uh, I regret that that being said what I told the team is you know if it can happen and I I'm th- I think I'm pretty good relative to working with the media and, and pretty savvy and I just had one of those moments Jared's a good friend uh, real good at his job two lattes in the morning first one I see and 40 minutes later I'm, I'm regretting it so uh, it is what it is <laughs> I had my father I love that uh, like he had this like wonderful you know, controversial, compelling broadcasting career. He had his Fox hat on. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum shared his thoughts on DPH on Rothenberg this morning. Yeah, he broke the code. It's completely unacceptable. Now, with that said, he's very close with Coach Parcells. Coach Parcells was a, a master manipulator and would do things in a very calculated way from time to time. I'm hoping for Sean's sake that's what it was doing where he realized he's dealing with a really sensitive quarterback in Russell Wilson and he was trying to take the heat off of him but it was shocking and I'll tell you something else Dave like called out his current GM and if I was George Payton their GM I'd walk in and say hey there's family business in the NFL and we could disagree behind closed doors and go at it that's part of our jobs but do you want me to come out you know the first time you blow a challenge or miss a call or whatever it may be and, and come out you know to the media and say like that was the worst game management I've ever seen so what he did was shocking, completely unacceptable, and I just hope what he was trying to do was you know, protect his quarterback. Or motivate his team. Look, the Broncos were a disaster last season, and I don't really necessarily disagree with a lot of what he said, but to do it in that manner is odd. But the thing that gets me is the thing about the Jets. Who cares that the Jets have popped? First of all, somebody's got to be on hard knocks anyway. Somebody's got to be on hard knocks. They have it every single year. Last year it was the Lions. In recent years it's been the Chargers, the Rams. Somebody's got to do it. Nobody wanted to do it this year. The Jets, because of this formula that they used, were one of four teams that was even eligible to do it. And, of course, they were picked because they have Aaron Rodgers. They didn't bring in Aaron Rodgers so they could be the center of attention. They're the center of attention because they brought in Aaron Rodgers. And you're coaching a team that was last place In the AFC West last year, with an aging quarterback who we don't know is going to be able to turn his career around. That's your job, by the way, to turn his career around. That's your situation. Why are you concerned with what is going on on the other side of the country 
with a team that last year finished in last place in the AFC East. Why is that your concern? Why is that on your radar? I understand the Nathaniel Hackett connection, but Hackett being the offensive coordinator for the Jets has nothing to do with what went on in Denver last season. But he just, you know what? We'll see. You know, Peyton walks around like a guy who's got two or three Super Bowls. He's got one Super Bowl. And what Tannenbaum said about Peyton kind of going after the general manager, that's Peyton unequivocally. And, th- and if you didn't think that was the case anyway, Peyton's in charge there. He's got the resume. He was the most sought-after head coach. He could have had any job he wanted that was available last offseason. And that is just Peyton's way of letting everybody know, including his general manager, who technically, according to the org chart, is his boss, but is not his boss. That was Sean Payton letting his general manager, whose name is also Peyton, spelled differently without a Y, letting him know who is in charge in Denver. It's Sean Payton, but we knew it was Sean Payton. I can't wait for week five. I really hope the Jets shove it up his... Shove it down his throat. <laughs> 1-800-919-3776. Yanks and Orioles still scoreless in the seventh. What a pitcher's duel in Baltimore. Mets won. What does it mean? Your calls here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. ESPN New York on this Friday night. Yankees had two runners on and one out in the seventh inning again. And Harrison Bader smacked into an inning-ending double play. The second inning-ending double play of the game for the Yankees. Earlier, it was Anthony Rizzo. So the Yanks and the Orioles remain scoreless in the bottom of the seventh inning. Yankees finally chased Grayson Rodriguez from the game after six and a third. Garrett Cole is out there to start the seventh inning for the Yankees on a humid night in Baltimore. The Orioles at 62-40. and 40. Eight games ahead of the Yankees in the standings. The Yanks are 54-48. and 48. Start of a 10-game stretch for the Yanks. Three in Baltimore. And then back home for three against Tampa Bay and the Bronx. Followed by four next weekend against the Houston Astros at Yankee Stadium. So a huge 10-game stretch that will bridge the trade deadline. Do the Yankees fortify themselves before 6 p.m. on Tuesday night? August 1st. They certainly fortified themselves tonight with Aaron Judge back in the lineup as the designated hitter this evening and hitting second. He has a line out to right field and two walks in his first action since June 3rd. The Mets beat the um, Nationals 5-1. to They win again. They win their second straight game. Uh, this is interesting from the Mets. Max Scherzer, and I spoke about this last hour, uh, Scherzer's performance tonight Seven innings, one run allowed. Uh, His ERA now 4.01 on the season, but this is the best that Max has looked maybe all season. Struck out seven, walked two, gave up six hits. It was vintage Max Scherzer. It was the Max Scherzer we saw for the majority of last season. So here's Scherzer after the game. This is according to The Athletic and the Mets beat reporter Tim Britton. Here's a quote from Scherzer regarding... David Robertson being traded last season and the Mets appearing to be sellers. Scherzer says, you have to talk to the brass. You have to understand what they're going to do. Here's more from Scherzer. I told you I wasn't going to comment on this until Steve Cohen was going to sell. We traded Robertson, so now I need to have a conversation. I haven't had that conversation yet. I will. 
that indicates to me that Scherzer might not want to be a part of a team that is selling off assets. This guy only has, I mean, how many more chances at a ring does he have as he approaches 40 years old and the very tail end of his career? So maybe that changes things. Maybe his performance tonight, I would imagine it's going to open the eyes of a couple of teams that are looking for reliable, veteran, experienced starting pitching. Uh, what Scherzer did tonight, what Verlander has done lately, I think could certainly change the dynamic for the Mets leading up to the trade deadline. Here is Scherzer. The Mets have won two in a row. They've won three out of four. They're still a ways back. Not much has changed on the wild card front because they can't really generate any consistency just yet. Maybe this is the week they finally do that. But here's Scherzer on if there is time for a run still to be made. Probably gonna have a conversation with the front office. I mean, you're trading our closer away. Um, yeah, yeah, we're gonna. I'm sure a bunch of people are gonna have to have conversations with the front office. Oof. Well, there you go. So I should have just gone right to that. I didn't realize that that was the clip that I just read and paraphrased. It certainly sounded uh, more forceful coming from Max Scherzer there. So um, here's Buck Showalter on Scherzer. What was the difference between him and the last start where he struggled so mightily? Max is not a guy that's going to let anything snowball. He's going to critique it. He's a tough critiquer of himself, great coach of himself, self-coach. He knows himself, and he knows when things are off. And if he doesn't know it right away, he's going to figure it out. I see all the work he does. I wish everybody could get a chance to watch his work day. It's a, I hope at some point he lets people film it sometime. It's, it's very committed and very uh, definitive, unlike hardly anything I've seen from starters, but he works on things. Everything he does is with a purpose to, to beat the other team on the day he pitches. And so when things get a little sideways some days, you know, like tonight, he gives up a home run to a guy that's, that's hit him pretty well, and he gets right back on the horse and gets some key outs and shortens up the game for us. The key besides Scherzer was Pete Alonzo as he knocked in all five runs, two for four, five RBIs, uh, a three-run home run, a two-run home run. So Alonzo's last seven games, he's 11 for 25. That's a 444 batting average. Four home runs, 10 RBIs in those seven games. He has raised his batting average from 204 to 220. And Buck was asked, what's the biggest difference that he's seen from Alonzo during this hitting streak? I wish I could come up with a better way to explain it. It's just body language and face. You know, an old scout I really respected, uh, Rudy Tebbets, used to talk about he's got a really good face. And everybody that's in the dugout and around these guys every day, you kind of know what that means. He feels confident. You know, he's, he collides with a ball. It, it goes places where you can't catch it. He came up in 2019, and that year he hit 53 home runs, setting the Major League Baseball rookie home run record. He's got 175 career home runs now, and 174 to be exact. Uh, four seasons of his five, the only one that he hasn't had 30 home runs was the COVID-shortened season of 2020. So four seasons of 30-plus home runs. Joining Mike Piazza, and Alonzo spoke about that after the game on SNY. That's awesome. I mean, it's super, super awesome to be uh, to be a part of this organization and to have that accolade. But honestly, just trying to win every single day. Well, they've won the last two. Alonzo's had a nice week for himself. The Mets, though, are still five games below 500, 49 and 54. Meanwhile, back to what's going on with the Yankees in Baltimore. This is a, a key part of the game that I've been on a lot lately regarding Garrett Cole and their use of him. So six and two-thirds innings. There's two outs in the bottom of the seventh. There's nobody on. 
and Cole just threw his 106th pitch. The most pitches he has thrown this season, I believe, has been 107. He's about to match that right now. I can't. I, I don't imagine the Yankees um, pushing Cole beyond this with that pitch count. It's a hot night. He had to wait around a lot after warming up his normal time. Then he had to sit out and wait out a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay. The interesting thing to me is if this batter gets on with two outs here in the bottom of the seventh in a scoreless game, do they take Cole out there? Because I have long been a proponent that there's nobody in that bullpen. I know he's at the tail end of his night. There's nobody in that bullpen that I would have more trust to get out of a jam than Garrett Cole, who is your best pitcher. But the trend has been in that situation, once the pitch count gets above 107, which it is right now, that that's the end of Cole's night. We'll see how far Aaron Boone pushes him here in the bottom of the seventh inning in a very, very important game between the Yanks and the Orioles to kick off this weekend series. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. It was the first time really... In a long time, I'm not going to say all season because I haven't seen every single one of his starts, but it was the first time in a while that it looked like the old Max Scherzer out there. And then after the game, that was in response to uh, a reporter asking Scherzer if he thinks the Mets can still make a run. The Mets are now five games below 500 at 49 and 54. Uh, You have teams around them coming back to the pack a little bit. You also have teams around them like the Chicago Cubs who won when Mike Talkman robbed a potential game-winning home run for the final out of the game. And the Cubs have now won seven games in a row. They're a game above 500 at 52 and 51. And they, in the last week, have turned from a team that was on the top of everybody's list as a seller because they've got some really interesting pieces, most notably Marcus Stroman and... Yankee fans are very well aware that they have Cody Bellinger, who could be a trade candidate as well. So the Mets are still six and a half games out of the final wild card spot. They still have to jump over the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, and the Reds to get into the wild card. And again, they're not near 500 right now. They're five games below. So that was Scherzer's answer uh, responding to the question, does he think that this team still has a run in it? Here's what he went on to say. Now, two years ago, if you remember, in 2021, Scherzer at the trade deadline was traded from Washington to the Dodgers. He waived his no-trade clause. Scherzer said, and this is in Tim Britton's article tonight that just uh, was posted to The Athletic. Scherzer said, when I was with Washington, I was about to be a free agent. Our season was going south. I wanted to get traded to a playoff contender. This time around, I'm not going to be a free agent. I have another year here. I came here. We did great things last year. We won 100 ball games last year. Unfortunately, this year, it's not. But with Steve Cohen and the rest of this organization, you can see a path forward. You can see a path to next year. So that's where the calculus is different. And just so we're all on the same page, Scherzer, his contract, $43 million last year, $43 million this year. 43.3 43.3 to be exact. And next year, he has a player option for $43.3 million. Now, he can become a free agent if he opts out of the player option, but it's very, very difficult to imagine at 39 years old, or really at any age, somebody opting out of a $43.3 million contract. Uh, for Verlander, it pretty much lines up $43.3 million this year. He's 40 years old. 
Next year, 43.3 when he's 41. And then if Verlander pitches 140 innings next year, then he would actually have a $35 million salary kick in, a vested salary kick in for 2025 when he's 42 years old. The Mets will certainly deal with that down the road if and when they have to. Verlander and Scherzer are both under contract for next year. Verlander is pitching better right now. He's pitched better for this entire season, especially the last two months. But Scherzer's a little bit younger. They've both been in big games. Uh, Scherzer's last foray in a big game was terrible last year against San Diego. Verlander's last forays into big games, he helped the Astros win the World Series last year coming off a Cy Young season. So they're both really under – the contract is essentially the same for both of them. I guess if you trade for Verlander, there is that $35 million vesting option that triggers if he pitches 140 innings next year. Um, but look, at this point, if you are a team that hasn't been there in a long time, and I'm talking about teams like the Texas Rangers, who have already spent a ton of money to get to this point, a uh, team like the Angels, who I've spoken about a lot, a uh, team like the San Francisco Giants, who right now occupy the top wild card spot. You've already gotten this far, and you've already invested this amount of capital in getting this far. Is it not worth it to see it all the way through by making a run at one of these two guys? I mean, there's two guys here, and I, I don't know that I put Scherzer in this category right now, but I would put Verlander in this category. And Verlander is a guy who can swing a pennant race just like he did in 2017. I mean, think about the career that this guy had. The Tigers, after all of his brilliance and his Cy Young and MVP seasons and winning the pitching triple crown, you know, by 2017, it seemed like he was coming to the end of a brilliant career. And then he was traded to the Astros, and then he had this entire second act of his career, winning the World Series in 17, going to the World Series in 19, you know, Missing two full years, essentially, after that. Coming back last year and winning the Cy Young Award and winning the World Series again. So the guy's as tough as they come. And right now he's more talented. At least he's got more gas in the tank, I should say, than Max Scherzer. And I think that Verlander, in particular, could swing the pennant race in the American League or nationally, six years after he swung the pennant race in the American League with the Houston Astros. Getting real interesting in Baltimore. Uh, crucial point of the game. Aaron Judge just walked for the third time. Yankees have a couple runners on and two outs in the top of the eighth inning in a scoreless game against the Orioles. I've said this all night, but this has been a great baseball game. We'll uh, update you on that as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York.